0: Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Alan, and I want to introduce you to my brand new, one-of-a-kind, true crime podcast called Uncharted, Crime and Mayhem in the Music Industry. On this podcast, I take you inside some unbelievable stories of murder, plane crashes, court battles, and even run-ins with the mob in this podcast, you will hear all about the dark side of the world of music. We're releasing new episodes every two weeks, so search for and follow Uncharted Crime and Mayhem in the Music Industry wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a sneak peek. There have been many studies into the different types of music fans. Basically, they can be broken down into four types. At the bottom of the pyramid are people who aren't fans of your music at all. They don't like you or don't care about you and may not even know who you are. So for the purposes of this discussion, they don't matter because they don't care. The next level are casual fans. They sort of like you or your music, but they can take or leave whatever it is that you're selling. They have zero investment in your career. If your music comes on, they might listen. Going up another level, we have true fans. They love you enough that they will spend money on you. They'll stream your music faithfully, buy physical product like CDs or vinyl from time to time. They probably own a t-shirt or two, and will go to your shows and have a very good time. At the very top of this pyramid are the superfans. Superfans love, love, love you. They're evangelists. They follow your every move. They buy everything. They'll get involved and donate to your charitable causes and they will go to all of the shows. They may total maybe 10% of your total fan base, but they are the source of the majority of your income, like 60, 70, even 80%. They are at the top of the fan pyramid. From there, though, we can cross over to the dark side. And this is where we find the fantasists, the deluded, the obsessed, the trolls, and frankly, the insane. They are dangerous people, a threat to you and the people around you. And they show up when you least expect it. And if they break into your online world, well, that's a whole new level of terror. I'm Ellen Cross, and have I got a story for you. This is Uncharted, Crime and Mayhem in the Music Industry, Episode 7, The Lincoln Park Cyberstalker. On this edition of Uncharted, we're going to look at the most dangerous kind of fan, the super-obsessed. This obsession can be driven by misguided love or murderous hate. These people live in a land of fiction, illusion, and make-believe. Contact with them is unwanted and sometimes very, very dangerous. According to the professionals who study such things, 2% of all men and 8% of all women will be stalked to some degree, at some point in their lives. Stalkers can be broken down into three broad categories. The first is known as intimates. They are former partners who refuse to accept that a relationship is over. The second type is known as delusionals. These people usually suffer from some kind of mental illness that has them believe that for some reason, one that seems very logical to them, that they need to be in contact with the target of their obsession. Delusionals can be reasonably benign, Take the case of slipknot you'd expect that such an extreme band would have some extreme fans and they do an example would be a dutch slipknot fan a real apostle known as crazy white sean on valentine's day when slipknot was playing a show in amsterdam crazy white sean showed up with a gift inside a big valentine's day box was the heart of a cow this was gross but Slipknot had actually seen this before. One fan had presented them with an actual human femur. No idea where he got it. Something a little more threatening was a series of fan letters Trent Reznor once received back in the 1990s. They were all written in human blood. Again, disturbing and weird, but that demonstration of devotion never escalated beyond that. The third type of stalker are the vengefuls. They believe that their target has somehow wronged them and that the person needs to be punished in some way. The Lincoln Park cyberstalking crisis never turned into anything physically dangerous, but it does involve the issue of identity theft of a rock star. And it ultimately led to a national security crisis involving a facility that produced the technologies for America's nuclear arsenal. Identity theft is a growing problem. If someone gains control of your identity, they can wreak some serious chaos in your life and finances. They can, for example, empty your bank account, acquire the deed to your house, take out credit cards in your name, post damaging things that become attached to you, and so on. Making it stop can take months and thousands of dollars. And then it takes even longer to repair the damage that was done. This story shows that it can happen to anyone. Linkin Park has an amazing management team around them. When I was dealing with them in the early 2010s, I spoke to several people who were in charge of the band's online presence. They were smart, way ahead of what most acts were doing at the time with things like social media and online fan engagement. They were also very conscious of the need for security. But the online world of Linkin Park wasn't always as secure as it is today. We might be able to trace things back to the spring of 2006. In late March of that year, Lincoln Park vocalist Chester Bennington had his cell phone hacked. This was in the era before the iPhone and other smartphones. It was also before things like two-factor authentication, facial recognition, reminders for strong passwords, and all the other things that we do today. Chester and his wife Talinda were plunged into a cybersecurity nightmare that went far beyond just a hacked phone. It was a situation that affected America's national security apparatus and, like I said, involved its nuclear arsenal. I'm not making this up. You heard that right. It all began when Talinda opened an email from an address she didn't recognize. It read, I'm very happy for you and Chester. Also in the email was a link to a website run by Chester's ex-wife, Samantha. Well, was strange, but Talinda thought it was just another troll. When you're a rock star, or their partner, you come to expect this sort of thing. On April 6th, this would be a couple of weeks later, the couple heard from a male friend, someone who had dated Talinda in the past, that he'd had a similar sort of email, one from the address informant 4 you at yahoo.com. This one was more sinister. The facts in the email should have been private and known only to Chester, Talinda, and a close circle of friends and associates. This was followed by another email sent directly to Talinda when Chester was out of town with the band. I know you're going through a hard time being alone, it said. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Creepy. And it certainly intimated that this person somehow had access to Chester's work schedule. The emails didn't end there. They kept coming throughout the spring of 2006, each time letting both Chester and Talinda know that their personal lives had been compromised. And then the phone call started. Chester's mobile would ring in the middle of the night, usually between 4 and 4.30 a.m. But when he answered it, no one was there. Eventually, he checked the caller ID and called that number. A switchboard operator somewhere in New Mexico answered. and She was no help because she had no idea which extension the call originated from. So Chester just hung up in frustration. A few nights after that, Chester's cell phone rang again. And this time, Talinda answered. A female voice said, I'm watching you, whore. This time there was no caller ID. It had been blocked. Talinda's friends started emailing. Apparently, they were receiving strange messages from her, detailing things that Talinda would not write. I didn't send any of those messages, she said. They'd all come from a Yahoo account that she'd stopped using months ago. Back then, Lincoln Park had a head of security. His name was Bruce Thompson and he got an email that was supposed to be from Talinda. It read, Hi Bruce, do we have an email for Samantha? Remember, that was Chester's ex-wife. Strange emails from fan sources have been received, it read. They seem to know a lot of information. Now, to Bruce, this looked like Talinda was sending him a message about Chester's ex-wife. But it wasn't. It was from this mystery cyberstalker. The emails from the informant Yahoo account kept coming. Each contained information about the Benningtons that should have been very private, right down to a child custody issue that they were having. Things were now beyond creepy. A little later, Talinda tried to log on to the couple's eBay account, but she couldn't get in because someone had changed the password. They got a notification from PayPal that someone had tried to change the password on that account. What was going on? Then, in August 2006, Chester got an email from his cell phone provider confirming that he had successfully changed his password on his account. But he hadn't. He had chosen to receive bills in the mail and not online. He didn't even have online account management with a cell phone provider. Somebody created that account and then changed his password. He changed it back, and then someone changed it again. He tried a second time. Same result. Someone had somehow gained control over the password for Chester's phone. When they logged on, they found something written in the field where the password should have been. It read, who is doing this to you? you you That's a sneak peek of Uncharted. Hope you enjoyed it. To get the full episode, Please search for and follow Uncharted Crime and Mayhem in the Music Industry wherever you get your podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode.